All right, well, we're there in Numbers chapter number 30. I'd like you to keep your place there, but go with me just real quickly to the book of Jeremiah. Numbers 30 is our text for this morning, so make sure you keep your place there. But go to Jeremiah chapter number 31. You open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you've got uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, and the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. And if you remember last week, we started a series on personal responsibility. And last week, we talked about this idea of passing the buck and how it is human tendency to want to shift the blame and to pass the buck. And I want to encourage you, if, if you uh, weren't here last week or if you didn't hear last week's sermon, I want to encourage you to, to, to check it out on our website, to listen to it. These three sermons that we're going through on responsibility really are building on each other. And if you don't understand the concepts from last week, then the concepts from this week will be helpful to you, but they won't be as productive as they could uh, without understanding that idea. And we're going to even talk about that a little bit. This morning, I'm uh, preaching, the, the title of the sermon is The Buck Stops Here. So we talked last week about passing the buck, and we learned about what that means, and we saw it all throughout the scripture. Uh, the, the buck stops here. Let me just read for you just something real quickly in regards to that phrase. It was popularized by U.S. President Harry S. Truman, who kept a sign with the phrase on his desk in the Oval Office. The phrase refers to the notion that the president has to make the decisions and accept the ultimate responsibility for those decisions. So when we're talking about the buck stops here, we're, we're talking about how to become and this is really what we're going to learn about this morning is what does it mean to be responsible and how do I become someone who's, who's high in personal responsibility, someone who is a, uh, 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 that could be characterized as someone that is very responsible. Now, for all of us, we want to have that set of ourselves. I would hope we'd want that set of ourselves. But even for those of us that are parents, we want to learn these things so we can teach them to our children, so we can make sure that our children are uh, high in personal responsibility and that we raise children that are able to be responsible. Now, again, I- I'm going to give you three statements uh, this morning, three steps or three ideas in regards to how to become responsible, and I'd encourage you to write those down. But before we do that, let's just review for just one second, because again, the foundation to becoming a responsible person is first to become, to, to, to stop being irresponsible. And when we talk about someone who's irresponsible, we're talking about someone who is shifting the blame, who is shifting the responsibility. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 29, we find a very interesting passage Jeremiah 31 and verse 29, the Bible says this, In those days they shall say... Now I want you to notice that we're going to see this in Jeremiah, we're going to see this in Ezekiel. This was a common phrase, this was a common saying that was being said by people at this, uh, uh, at this time. And you know, you find that in societies you'll have common phrases that you know, mean something or people will say something, they'll mean something. And this is something that was being said by the people there. He says, in those days... They shall say, but notice, this was not a good phrase. It's something that God wanted them to stop saying. He said, they shall say, no more. So here's what God wants them to stop saying. They were saying, this is what they were commonly saying. They were using this phrase. They were saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. And they were using this little proverb, and it's called a proverb in, in the book of, 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 of Ezekiel, and we're going to see that here in a minute, but they, were, they would commonly use this phrase, and they would say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes. They were saying, the fathers took actions, the fathers made decisions, the fathers decided to eat these sour grapes, but the children's teeth 
are the ones that are set on edge. They're saying the children are the ones that are suffering consequences. And these people were saying the reason that we are in the state we're in, the reason that we are suffering the consequences we're suffering, the reason that our teeth are set on edge is because of the decisions that our fathers have made. But I want you to notice in verse 30 that the Bible says this, but this is the response that God gives to these people. He says, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. What is it that Jesus, uh, excuse me, that Jesus, that Jeremiah is trying to teach the children of Israel here and, and trying to explain to them what he's trying to tell them is that, look, you will suffer the consequences for your own actions. If your teeth are set on edge, it's because you ate the sour grapes. And, and, and he's trying to get them to quit passing the buck, to quit shifting the blame, to quit saying, well, it's because of my dad, or it's because of my mom, or it's because of the actions of somebody else. And he's saying, at the end of the day, you are responsible for your own actions. And we'll see that this is a very common thing, because not only is it mentioned here in the book of Jeremiah by the prophet Jeremiah, but it's also mentioned in the book of Ezekiel by the prophet Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel chapter number 18. You're there in Jeremiah. You're just going to go a couple of books over. you got the small book of Lamentations, and you got the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, and look at verse number 1. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. It says, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying... So this is now to Ezekiel, of course. Notice what he says. He says, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. What mean ye that ye use this proverb? So notice, this was a common proverb, a common saying, something that they were saying on a regular basis, concerning the land of Israel, saying... Here's what they're saying. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. So again, the idea that because of somebody else's actions, I am now suffering the responsibilities, shifting or, uh, the, the, uh, I'm suffering the consequences, shifting the responsibility, shifting the blame to someone else. Verse 3, as I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. And here's what I, I want to just start off by saying for those of you that are living your lives. And again, I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon. Last week we learned about the problems with passing the buck. And you may have the tendency and you may find some comfort in being able to say, it's not my fault, it's their fault. It's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. Somebody else's decisions as to why I'm at the place I am in life. But you have to realize that when you make when, when you choose to shift the blame, it doesn't help you. And at the end of the day, you're still accountable for your actions. So instead of passing the buck, we must learn to become the types of people that will say, you know what, the buck stops here. And I want to teach you this morning, and we don't have to be very long, but I want to teach you just three steps, three ideas in regards to becoming someone who is responsible, someone who is high in personal responsibility. Go back to the book of Numbers if you would not mind. Numbers chapter number 30. When you look up the word responsibility as defined by dictionaries and different things, you'll find a lot of different uh, definitions. Let me just read a couple for you. Personal responsibility is defined as uh, morally accountable or legally liable. It's also defined as the state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or having control over someone. It's defined as the state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. It's defined as a moral obligation to behave correctly towards or in respect of something. The, uh, it's defined as the opportunity or ability to act independently and take decisions without authorization. It's defined as an obligation 
or duty. And what I want to do this morning is I want to go through Numbers chapter 30 and teach you just uh, three things in regards to personal responsibility and what it means to be personally responsible. Now, let me say this. When we look at Numbers chapter 30, you need to understand that the primary application, the context of, the, of this passage, it's about making a vow or swearing an oath. And we're learning in this passage how Old Testament Israel was supposed to act to uh, when someone made a vow or, or swore an oath and, and where, you know, how things were supposed to progress in regards to those things. What we can learn, though, from this passage is some lessons on personal responsibility because when we look at the instructions that God gives, He talks about people making a vow, swearing an oath, you know, uh, uh, saying they're going to do something, but then God gives us some insight into who is responsible or who is accountable for those vows. So like I said, very quickly this morning, we don't have to be very long, but let me give you three thoughts. I'd like you to write these down if you don't have a baby sitting on your lap or something like that. And look at Numbers chapter 30 and look at verse number 1. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 1. Let's read the verses and I'll give you point number 1. The Bible says this, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Verse 2. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath. Now I want you to understand. When we're talking about someone vowing a vow, swearing an oath, what we're talking about is someone making a commitment. If a man commits himself to, makes a commitment to, decides or gives his word that he's going to do something, notice, to bind his soul with a bond, notice what the Bible says, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So when we learn about personal responsibility, what does it mean to be personally responsible? Point number one this morning, personal responsibility means you keep your commitments. Personal responsibility means you keep your commitments. Now let's just run a couple of verses real quickly. Keep your place there in Numbers, that's our text like I told you. But go with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 25. If you open up your Bible in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 25. And, and look, nothing I'm going to say this morning is going to be just, you know, mind-shattering. Wow, I never knew that. But it's good for us to understand some of these things, to be reminded of some of these things. Personal responsibility means you keep your commitments. If you want to ask the question, am I responsible? Am I someone who is high in personal responsibility? Am I someone who takes their responsibilities uh, seriously? Then you can ask yourself this question, do you keep your commitments? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you someone that can be counted on? Are you someone that can be trusted? Are you someone, are you a man of your word? Are you a woman of your word? Does your word mean something? When you say, hey, I will be there, I will do that, I will you know, take care of that responsibility, does that mean something? Or is it because of your life and because of your testimony and because of your prior, you know, history, when you say, I will be there, everyone thinks, sure, we'll see about that. You know, or I will take care of that and everybody thinks, make sure that gets done. Because the likelihood is that it's not going to get done. You know, you don't want to be known as the person who cannot be trusted, who cannot be counted on, whose word is mud. You don't want to be that person. Personal responsibility means you keep your commitments. Proverbs 25, look at verse 19. Proverbs 25 and verse number 19. See, this means that people can count on you. This means that people can count on you. Proverbs 25 and verse 19 says this, confidence. You see that word confidence there? 
Confidence, that idea is, this is someone that I'm confident in, meaning I can count on them, I can trust them, I can, uh, you know, I am sure that they will perform. Notice what the Bible says, confidence in an unfaithful unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. The Bible says that confidence, counting on, trusting someone who is unfaithful. What does it mean to be unfaithful? It means someone who does not keep their commitments, someone who cannot be trusted, someone who you you just don't know. You know, maybe they'll do what they said, but maybe they won't. Maybe they'll keep their word, but maybe they won't. The Bible says that confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. See, it is very important. Look, some of you, you know, you're wondering, you know, how can I get that raise at work? Or how can I get that promotion at work? Or how can I get that leadership position? Or maybe even, you know, in a church setting, I'd like to be more of a leader. Hey, you know, learn to be someone that you can be counted on. Because it is often in the time of trouble. It is often when, when the situation is important. You know, there are oftentimes, you know, things that someone will say, hey, can I do that? And I think to myself, no, you can't do that. And here's why. That is too important. I can't trust you. You know, there's some things that if they don't get done, you know, it's fine. You know, if it doesn't get done, it's like, oh, man, that's annoying you know, so-and-so said they were going to do that and they didn't do it, or so-and-so said they were going to be there and they weren't there, or so-and-so, whatever. And and it doesn't get done, and it's like, man, that's annoying that someone else has to come in, because remember, whenever we shift responsibility, it doesn't just disappear. Someone else has to come in and take that responsibility and then take care of it for you. There are some situations where you can say, hey, I'll be there, and then you're not there. You drop the ball or you don't do it, and someone else comes in and takes care of it, and it's annoying, it's bothersome, but it's not a big deal. But then there are other things that it's like, no, this is too important for you because you're not trustworthy. This is too important for you because I just have no confidence in your work. See, personal responsibility means you keep your commitments. Now, please understand this. All of us from time to time are going to fail at our commitments. All of us from time to time are going are, are, are gonna to mess up. There are things that happen. You, you tell someone you're going to be there at a certain time and you get in an accident on the way there. You know, you get a flat tire or whatever it might be. We understand that life happens and not any of us are ever going to keep, you know, all of our commitments and do exactly what we say. But listen to me. When you break your word, it should be a very rare thing. You know, when there are situations where I'm supposed to meet someone at a certain time and they don't show up, and I think to myself, they must be in the hospital. I mean, they must be on their deathbed. I mean, for brother so-and-so to say he, he's going to be here and then not be here, something major happened. There are other people where they they're going to be somewhere, and, and I get there, they're not there, and somebody asked me about it, and I said, well, you know, <laughs> I wasn't really expecting them to show up. You say, what? Because that's how their word is. Because they don't generally keep their commitments. Because they don't generally do what they say they're going to do. Go to Psalm 15. You're there in Proverbs. Go just one book back to the book of Psalms. So what does it mean to be personally responsible? It means to keep your commitments. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. This means people can count on you. This means your boss, your employer, or your parents, or whoever is your leader can give you a job and forget about that job and know that it's going to get done. 
It means that you can be counted on. But see, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. But I want you to notice, secondly, when it comes to keeping your commitments, this means that you stick with it even when you made a mistake. This means you stick with it even when you made the wrong choice, even when you made the wrong decision, even when, you, when, 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 when it's something that's going to be hard or difficult or it's not going to turn out the way that you expect it to. Psalm 15, are you there in verse 1? This is a, a, a short psalm, and I'm gonna read, we don't have to read all the verses, but I want to read all the verses just to develop it a little bit. Psalm 15 and verse 1 says this, a psalm of David. Lord, notice what he says, Lord, who? I want you to notice, we're speaking about a, a specific uh, individual here. He says, who shall abide in thy tabernacles? He's saying, who is the person who's going to abide? In thy tabernacle is talking about the house of God. He's saying, who is the person who's going to stick with it in the house of God? They're going to be in church, you know, 10 years from now and 20 years from now and 30 years from now. They're going to abide in thy tabernacle. He said, who is that person? Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He says, here's who will abide. Here's who will dwell. Look at verse 2. He that walketh uprightly. So the individual we're talking about is not someone, is not only someone who's going to be there for the long haul, not only someone who's going to be there for the long run, it's not only someone who's going to be there and abide in the tabernacle, but they're going to walk uprightly. Notice what it says, and worketh righteousness. He that worketh righteousness. So it's he that walketh uprightly, and it's he that worketh righteousness, and speaketh truth in uh, his heart. It's he that speaketh truth in his heart. Notice verse 3. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil, nor he that doeth evil to his neighbor, nor he that taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Notice verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is contempt. So notice, he's telling us all about this one individual, the one that will abide, the one that will dwell. It's the one that walks uprightly. It's the one that works righteousness. It's the one that speaks truth. It's the one that does not backbite. It's the one that does not do evil to their neighbor. It's the one that uh, does not take up a reproach against his neighbor. It's the one whose eyes a vile person is contempt. Notice, but he... Honoreth them that fear the Lord. Now look, up to this point, up to this point, doesn't this individual sound like an awesome Christian? I mean, they don't backbite. They don't reproach their neighbor. They don't do evil to their neighbor. They walk uprightly. They work righteousness. They speak in truth. The vile person is contempt in their eyes. They, they, they do all these great things. This is the, the characteristics of a very wonderful individual. But I want you to notice one more characteristic at the end of verse 4. He that sweareth notice to his own hurt. See, this individual swore, made a commitment. They made a vow. And after they swore, after they made the commitment, after they made the vow, they realized, wow, I just committed myself to something that's going to hurt me. I, I, didn't, I made a mistake. I, didn't real, I thought I was signing up for this, and then it turned out to be something else. I thought I was giving my word for this situation uh, that was going to help me, and actually it ended up hurting me. But I want you to notice the characteristic of this individual. Verse 4, he that sweareth to his own hurt and blame somebody else and gets out of it. Is that what it says? He that sweareth to his own hurt, and, you know, uh, three years into the marriage, realizes that he married the wrong lady, so gets a divorce and finds another one. Is that what it says? 
He that sweareth to his own hurt and defaults on his contract. He that sweareth to his own hurt and doesn't show up for his appointment. No, notice, he that sweareth to his own hurt, but this is a man with character. This is a man with integrity. This is a man that loves God and walks with God, and he sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. See, this is someone who keeps his commitments even when he makes a mistake, even when he does the wrong thing, even when he marries the wrong person. Let, let me tell you something. There's no right person. You, you, everybody, oh, I, I married the wrong person. You know, I, 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 I need Mr. Right. There is, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, oh, I need, I, I need to find Mr. Right. Uh, let me, uh, you know, Mr. Right, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no Mr. Right. There is no Mrs. Right. Whoever you marry, there's going to be something wrong with them. But you know what? Someone with character and integrity and responsibility is going to swear to their own hurt and change not. Oh, I signed up for that ministry and I didn't think, I didn't realize how, you know, I signed up for that job and I didn't realize. And obviously, if you have a job you don't like, you can change jobs. But hey, be responsible about it. You know, I, I signed up to do that or I said I was going to go there or I signed that contract. Hey, you signed that contract, you pay the bill. Well, I didn't know it was going to be so hard and so difficult. Yeah, but you committed yourself. But you gave your word. Now look, if you can't pay for the house or you can't pay for the car or you can't pay for the credit card, then sell something and get out of, you know, do whatever you got to do. But here's what I'm saying. People who are high in personal responsibility keep their commitments. They do what they said they were going to do. Even when they swear to their own hurt. Even when they make a decision and they realize, ah, oh, that was the wrong decision. Even when they, 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 they go into something. And, and by the way, you know, this is why this is so important in ministry. This is why it's so important that we vet those that are going into ministry, that are going to be pastors. This is why there's, the qualifications are there for ministry. Why? You, you, and here's what you need to understand. I'm not trying to, look, I, I love the Lord and I love the ministry. I love my wife and my children and I love my life and the Lord has blessed me and I and thank the Lord for it. But let me tell you something. Every single person that wants to become a pastor always wants to become a pastor until they are a pastor. And then you have to deal with people. Then you have to deal with issues. Then you have to deal with problems. And you know what? Every pastor at some point on a regular basis is contemplating, man, can I just get out of this? What would I have to do? I wonder if Verity would make me a deacon. Maybe I can be an evangelist. You know, you, 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 you think to yourself, but you know, you say, well, what do you do? You just stick with it. Why? Because you swear to your own hurt. And, I'm not, and don't misunderstand the illustration. I love the ministry and all that. What I'm saying is this. Sometimes things get hard. They get difficult. We make decisions, and then we immediately start reconsidering. Oh, is that what I should have done? Is that what I... But look, someone who is high in personal responsibility keeps their commitments. It means you're someone that you can count on. It means that you stick with it even when you made the wrong choice. Number two, go back to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. What does it mean to be high in personal responsibility? What does it mean to say, I am someone who the buck stops here? Well, it means, number one, that you keep your commitments. It means that when you give your word, that when you say, I'm going to do something, or I'm not going to do something, or I'm going to uh, be responsible for this, or I'm, you know, whatever it is, when you sign on the contract, when you say, I do, when, whatever it might be, you keep your commitment, and you keep your word, and you're someone that can be trusted. Number two, not only does personal responsibility mean that you keep your commitment, 
But personal responsibility also means that you are accountable for those who you lead. You are accountable for those who you lead. Notice what we learn in this passage, Numbers 30. Look at verse 3. We learned about the fact that if a man makes a vow unto the Lord, God expects that man to keep his vow. But in verse 3, he says this, If a woman, and we understand that biblically, a woman that is married is under the authority of her husband. And if you don't understand that, you know, that's what the Word of God teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. I realize that our society today does not want to acknowledge that, but that's what the Bible says. And by the way, if people just did what the Bible said, society would work. You would, you know, you would, you would do better at life if you just followed the Word of God. And the Bible says here, if a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond. So this woman vows a vow, but this woman is not independent. We're actually going to learn about an independent woman later on in the passage. This woman is, does this while being in her father's house. So notice, she is under someone else's authority. This is a, a, a young lady who's still at home with her parents, living under her father's house in her youth, and she vowed a vow unto the Lord. I want you to notice who's responsible for her vows. Verse 4, And her father hear her vow, and her bond, wherewith she was bound, uh, she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her. So I want you to understand what's going on. You've got a young lady living at home. She makes a vow. She, she swears an oath. She commits her word. And her father hears of it, and he says nothing. He holds his peace at her. Notice what the Bible says. Then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. Verse 5. But if her father disallow her. What does it mean to disallow? It means he does not allow it. He says, no, you're not allowed to make that vow. No, you're not allowed to make that uh, oath. He says, but if her father disallow her in the day of, uh, that he heareth, notice what he says, not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. And the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed her. What is the Bible saying here? Here's what the Bible is saying here. The father is the leader. He is the one who's accountable or responsible for this young lady. So guess what? Because he is the leader, he has the responsibility. And when she makes a vow, he can say, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to go there. Or, or, or he can allow it by... Uh, uh, keeping silence. And by the way, I want you to understand, I'm not preaching on this, but you realize that this passage teaches that silence is agreement? Somebody is, you know, bad-mouthing the pastor? Bad-mouthing the pastor? Well, she was bad-mouthing the pastor. Why? I didn't say anything. Yeah, well, then you agreed because silence is agreement. When you, when you just keep your mouth shut, you're saying, I agree. I'm in agreement with this. But he says, no, I disallow it then he gets to this a lot. Why? Because he's responsible. And someone who's responsible is accountable not only for their own actions, but for the actions of those that they lead. Look at verse 6. And if she had at all an husband. So now we're talking about a woman that's married with a husband. When she vowed a vow or uttered out, out, out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, verse 7, and her husband heard it and held his peace at her, and the day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, uh, uh, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul. Notice what it says, of none effect. 
and the Lord shall forgive her. But every vow, now notice, notice verse 9. Now we're going to talk about a woman that's independent. She's not under the authority of a husband or under the authority of a father. It says, but every vow of a widow or of her that is divorced. So here we have a woman that's either been widowed and not under the authority of a father or a husband, or she's just been divorced and not under the authority of any man. Notice what it says. Wherewith they have bound their soul shall stand against her. You say, why is she now accountable? Because she's the authority in her life. There's no one that's telling her what to do. But here's what the Bible is trying to teach us. The Bible is trying to teach us that when to be responsible, you must not only be someone who keeps your commitments, but you must be someone who is accountable for those that you lead. And the passage goes on and on in continuing to explain this, you know, in, in, in the same way. But the Bible teaches us here that to be someone who is responsible is not only be responsible for yourself and for your own actions, for your own words and for your own commitments, but you are to be responsible for those that are following you. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. We've looked at this verse many times before, but I'd like you to see it. Hebrews 13. If you can find all those T books, they're all clustered together. First, Second Thessalonians, First, Second Timothy, Titus, and you got Philemon, and you got the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13. And let me say this, and, and I, I said this on Wednesday night. And I said it on Wednesday night because I'd been studying this passage for this morning. But I want you to notice that here we have the leadership, and it's their job to disallow, right? It's their job to make of none effect. Some follower says, we're going to do this. And then the leader, the husband or the father, gets to say, no, we're not going to do that. No, we're not making that decision. No, we're not going down that way. And I just want you to understand this, and I want you guys to grasp this. All those of you that have leadership positions, whether it's one day in ministry as a pastor, as a deacon, evangelist, whatever it might be, whether it's as a husband, whether it's as a uh, parent, whether it's uh, as an employer, or whatever it might be, you need to realize this. What makes you a leader is the ability to say no. If you are a people pleaser who cannot say no to anyone, just realize this, you are not a leader. Because anyone can say yes. It's easy to say yes. And look, in ministry, I constantly have people trying to pressure me into making decisions. Everyone wants me to do what they want to do. Look, I said on Wednesday night, I can't make a decision around here without somebody being upset about something. Somebody not liking it in some way. Somebody complaining about it in some way. And you say, you know, what do you do? You just say, no. Some of you need to just go home and get, get, get in the mirror and just practice. No. No. You know, your husbands go to your wife. I can do this. No. It, it would revolutionize your life. See, we live in a society where the leaders are afraid of the followers. Isn't that true? Parents afraid of their children. Husbands afraid of their wives. Pastors afraid of their church people. Well, nobody ever wants to offend and say no. But listen to me. You are only a leader when you have the ability to say no. And look, one of the most crippling things that we have found in family life is men who are not able to say no to their wife. No to their kids. No to their teenage daughter. No to their teenage son. No, Look, uh, what makes you a leader is that you can say no. Why? Because look, Dad, you're the one that's accountable. You're the one that's responsible. Well, it just helps you in life. You're on a diet and you pass by those M&Ms? No! <laughs> right? Just no. Just learn to say no. It'll revolutionize your life. That's what makes you a leader. 
True leadership is the ability to say no. And obviously we can say it tactfully and kindly and whatever, and we can do all that, and that's great. But we need to learn to say no. As leaders, we must learn to say no. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Let me give you an example of this. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. That's the leader. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Notice what it says. I, t- I take pastoral leadership very seriously at Verity Baptist Church. You say, why? Because of this one phrase, as they that must give account. See, at the end of the day, it's not you who's going to give an account for what happens here. It's not you who's going to give an account for this ministry. You're looking at the guy who's going to give an account. And I want to be able to do it, notice what it says, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And look, this is not just pastoral leadership. This is leadership in general. Look, it is the leader who will give an account. It is the leader who is responsible. It is the leader who must take the responsibility, not only for their own words and for their own actions, but for the actions of those that follow them. And by the way, let me say this. Leaders need to properly, need to properly balance that accountability. Let me just give you, let me give you a secret for leadership. Those of you that are leaders and want to be leaders and want to train leaders, you're, you're raising, you say, you, you, you know, you're, you're a wife and a mother, you say, this doesn't apply to me. Well, if you're raising boys, then you want to teach them how to be leaders. And by the way, even ladies are leaders. Everyone in this room is a leader. So you don't realize it, but somebody is watching you and following you. Someone is watching you and taking their cues from you. And let me give you just a good principle for leadership. Leaders share the credit and observe, uh, absorb the blame. Leaders, good leaders, they share the credit and they absorb the blame. Good leaders share the credit and absorb the blame. You want to be a good leader? When something goes right, when it's a big day, when it's a high day, when things are going great, you don't get up and say, well, it's because I'm such a wonderful... No, you know, you get up and say, man, this church is amazing. These people are awesome. We're working together. We're striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what a good leader does? He shares the credit. But you know what a good leader does? He absorbs the blame. I've had to apologize for things I had nothing to do with. I've had to go to people and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z. I didn't even know X, Y, and Z happened or was happening or whatever. I've taken, you know, even in a church our size, there are so many leadership positions within our ministry or with our staff or with, you know, uh, like church plants in Vancouver and things like that, you know, where sometimes leaders make decisions and I find out about it later and I think to myself, that's not what I would have done. That's not what I would have said. That's not the decision I would have made. But do I just throw them under the bus and say, man, you know, Brother Sucky really meant, I don't know what Oliver was thinking, but I'm not sure who authorized, you know, I just pay that bill. <laughs> I just, you know, do whatever it might be. And maybe, maybe pub, you know, and I'm just joking using these guys' names. They're great. But, you know, maybe pri- you know, privately we have a, a talk and say, hey, next time run that by me or next time let's not do that or next time here's why we don't want to do that. But you know what a leader does? A good leader shares the credit, absorbs the blame. Shares the credit, absorbs the blame. You husbands, you want to be respected by your wives? Don't continue to throw them under the bus every time something happens. Your kids, some parents, it seems like their whole household is trying to figure out how it's the kid's fault. Something goes wrong in the house, it's the kid's fault. Somehow the kids did it, it's the kid's fault. You know what? A good leader shares the credit, absorbs the blame. A terrible leader absorbs the credit, and is always looking for someone to blame. And that's not the type of person that you want to be. The Bible says that if you're the leader, you must give an account 
for those that follow you. Leaders are accountable for their followers. Go back to Numbers chapter 30, if you would. Numbers chapter 30. We're learning about how to become someone who's responsible. How to become a, the buck stops here type of person. What does that mean? Well, it means, number one, you keep your commitments. It means that you become someone that people can count on. It means that you stick with it even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's, uh, when it's a mistake, even when you realize, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have made that decision. Okay, well, there, there are even situations in, in this ministry where I've made decisions and decided we're going to take part in this thing or we're going to do this thing. And, and a few weeks into it, I realized that was a mistake. And, and, you know, and you say, what do we do? Well, we just fulfill our commitment. And when, they, when we can renew that contract or when we can, re, you know, get out of that bill or when we can do whatever we can do, you know, in a responsible fashion to get out of that, then we do it. But until we're able to do it in a responsible uh, way, then we just keep our commitments. We just stick with it. A good leader is accountable for those they lead. They share the credit, absorb the blame. They make sure that their followers are... That they're, that they're taking responsibility for the actions and the commitments of their followers, not only for themselves. Number three, personal responsibility means you bear the consequences for yourself and those whom you lead. Personal responsibility means that you bear the consequences for yourself and those whom you lead. Are you there in Numbers 30? Look at verse 15. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. But if... But if he shall any ways make them void, after that he heard them. So remember, we, we learned about a father or a husband. They hear one of their followers make a vow, and immediately they hear it, and they say, no, wait a minute, we're not going to do that. Then the Bible says it's of none effect. It's null and void. God forgives it, and they move on. Why? Because the leader who is responsible for the actions of the followers said no. But here we have a situation where he shall anyways make them void. So the leader is trying to make them void and say, no, we're not going to do that. But the only problem in this situation is that he's doing that after that he heard them. So he already heard the vow. He already heard the contract. He already heard the oath. He didn't say anything. They get into it and they realize, I, we have bowed to our own hurt. We have committed ourselves to our own hurt. And this guy is not like we learned in Psalms where he vows to his own hurt and changes not. He's trying to get out of the deal. He's trying to change. Notice what it says. Then he shall, notice these words, bear his iniquity. This is what the Bible is trying to teach us. If you want to be someone who's responsible, you're going to learn to bear the consequences for yourself. Verse 16. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between the father and his daughter, being yet in her youth in her father's house. Now, I want you to notice that the Bible tells us there that he bears his iniquity. See, people who are high in personal responsibility, they are willing to pay the consequences for their actions. They're willing to say, you know what? That was my mistake. That was my fault. Or maybe even say, well, it wasn't my mistake. It wasn't my fault. You know, it was, you know, my kid is the one who threw the baseball and, you know, broke the glass. Or my kid is the one who, whatever. But I'm going to pay for that glass. I'm going to pay for that window. Or I'm going to pay for, you know. There's someone who's willing to pay the consequences, not only for themselves, but for those that follow them. Go to Job. Job 19, if you kept your place in Psalms, you're there in Psalms, go to, go to Job. 
Job 19. And if you remember for, for uh, Father's Day, we learned about Job and how godly of a man he was. Job 19. I want you to notice what Job said. It's interesting. This is a very successful man, high in personal responsibility. Job 19. The Bible says this, Then Job answered and said, Remember Job's friends were coming to him and they're accusing him of all sorts of things and telling him, you did this and you did that, and they were wrong about all of it. They were wrong. They weren't necessarily wrong. Everything they said wasn't wrong, but it was all, said, it was all wrong about Job. Then Job answered and said, notice what he says, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have you reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. Notice verse 4. And be it indeed that I have erred. He says, look, if it's true that I have erred, if it's true that I've done wrong, if it's true that all of these things are happening to me because of the decisions that I've made, these are all consequences to the decisions I've made. Here's what he meant. Who, by the way, Job had done nothing wrong. Nothing that had happened in the life of Job was his fault. This was God uh, testing him and God trying him that he might come forth as gold. This was God showing Satan that Job was a righteous man. But here's what someone with high responsibility says. They say, they say, I don't know that it's my fault. I don't think that it's my fault. I don't think that I've done anything that deserved these consequences. But be it indeed that I have already said, if it's true that it's my, that if it's my fault, notice what he says, mine error remaineth with myself. You know what somebody in high, high responsibility says? They said, if I've done wrong, then I take responsibility for my actions. If I've done wrong, if it's my fault, if these are the result of my consequences, then mine error remaineth with me. He says, I'm willing to pay the consequences for my actions. Go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. We're almost done. We're going to look at 2 Samuel. We're going to look at two passages in Romans, and we'll be done. 2 Samuel chapter 12, two passages in Romans, and we'll be done. 2 Samuel chapter 12. You got 1st, 2 Samuel, 1st, 2 Kings, 1st, 2 Chronicles. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Remember we learned about all those irresponsible people last week? Adam, Eve, Aaron. And then we learned about Saul. Remember Saul? Saul had the kingdom taken from him. Why? Because we looked at one example, but there are actually two examples in the life of Saul where he was called out on sin in his life, and he shifted the blame. He passed the buck. Now, here's what's interesting about Saul. Saul was replaced by David. Remember, he, he, Samuel, uh, he, he, Samuel began to walk away, and Saul reached out, and he rent the coat of Samuel. And Samuel said, the kingdom will be rent in the same way that you rent my coat. The kingdom is going to be rent from you. God is going to give the kingdom to a man that is uh, better than you are. In other places, we're told that it's a man after God's own heart. All right? Here's what's interesting. Saul was replaced by David because of Saul's sin. But here's the problem. David ends up having much higher, much more serious, much more grievous sins than Saul. Remember, Saul was supposed to kill the cattle, and he didn't. He was supposed to kill King Agag, and he didn't. David committed adultery. David killed a man to cover it up. David's sin on the sin spectrum was much higher than Saul's. Yet Saul loses his job, and David doesn't. 
Yet Saul gets replaced, and David doesn't. Yet Saul goes down in history as losing one of the greatest opportunities given to a man by God, and the Lord Jesus Christ will reign for the millennium on the throne of David. So what was the difference? Well, we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Actually, I want you to look at verse 27 of the previous chapter. Remember, David just got done committing adultery, killing Uriah the Hittite, all those things. Verse 27 of, verse 11, of chapter 11 says this, And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. It's talking about uh, a woman that was not his wife, and she became his wife because he committed adultery with her, and bare him a son, of course, Bathsheba. But the thing that David had done, notice what the Bible says, displeased the Lord. God is always watching. Chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, and he gives him, of course, this story. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew together with him and with his children and did eat at his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So Nathan shows up and says, let me tell you a story. There's a man, he had a lot of different options when it came to satisfying a need here. He, he has a traveler comes and there's a need there and this man has all these lambs and he has all this ability to satisfy that. And then there's another man that has one lamb and he really loves this lamb and he actually cares about this one, not like someone that has all these lambs. He said he cares about this one, but this man decided to take the lamb of the one that the man actually loved. And of course, it's all a story, a parable, to make a point. Verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, this is why we don't like Bible preaching. We like the stories and the parables. We don't like the application. Here comes the application. Thou art the man. Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house." Notice, his actions, by the way, it works both ways for leaders. Not only are we responsible for their actions, but a lot of times they suffer the consequences of our actions too. Now therefore the sword, verse 10, shall not depart out of thine house. Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it in secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, and here we find the huge 
difference between someone who's high in personal responsibility and someone who's low in personal responsibility. The Bible says that David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. See, he didn't shift the blame. He didn't pass the box. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you don't understand. It's not my fault. It's all the pressures of the kingdom and you don't get. No, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord hath also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. See, people that are high in personal responsibility are willing to bear the consequences for themselves. But I want you to notice they're not only willing to bear the consequences for themselves, they're also willing to bear the consequences for those whom they lead. Go to Romans, chapter number 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. We're going to look at two passages of Romans. We'll be done. Romans 5. I wanted to be careful with making this point about bearing the consequences for your followers. Because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. There obviously is a balance to everything we do, especially in leadership. What you don't want to become, I talked about this on the Father's Day sermon, what you don't want to become, here's what you don't want to become, whether you're a father or a mother, you do not want to become an enabler. You don't want to become someone who's enabling. You, you suffer the consequences for your kids. You know, you fight all their battles. You get, you know, I said for Father's Day, sometimes it's okay. Don't bail, let them fail. Now look, we're not talking about they're in, 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 in harm's way, they're in imminent danger. Obviously, you know, your kid, your little three-year-old is in the middle of the road and a semi-truck is coming. You're like, well, they're going to have to learn their lesson. <laughs> Obviously, you know, we need to step in and figure your know, situations where parents, adults, those in leadership, those responsible need to step in. But look, it's good sometimes to allow them to fail from time to time. And learn those lessons. So I, want you to, I don't want you to become this enabler who's just constantly just a superhero there to save your kids, you know, because that's going to do them more hurt. But there are times, there are times when we as leaders need to pay the consequences and be responsible for those who cannot pay those consequences for themselves. For those who are following us and maybe they don't have the ability. And we have to say, you know what? I take responsibility. I take responsibility. Now, there's many different places we could have gone to illustrate this, but I thought the greatest illustration from the greatest leader, from the greatest story ever told, is, of course, the illustration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were irresponsible, while we were not responsible, Christ died for us. The greatest illustration of leadership is that Christ would come and say, you know what? I want to become your leader. I want you to follow me. And I'll begin, I'll begin by absorbing your blame. And I will pay the consequences for your sins. And see, this is leadership at its best. When a leader is not only willing to say, I will pay for my own consequences, but they also say, I will pay for the consequences of those that I lead and those who I want to lead. Now, let me just say this, and we'll be done. You're there in Romans 5. Go to Romans 14. We'll be done. You know, if you're a wife here, don't take this as a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
well, I can just run amok and do whatever because it's my husband. It's all on him. He's going to have to, you know, take care of it. Or if you're a kid here, well, till I'm, you know, while I'm living under my parents' roof, I can just do what I want. You know, here's the thing. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, we will all pay the consequences for our, our actions. Romans 14, verse 12, the Bible says this. So then, so then, every one of us, Romans 14, 12, so then, every one of us, Notice, shall give account, will be responsible of himself to God. At the end of the day, you're responsible for your actions. At the end of the day, you will give an account of your actions to God. So here's the question I have for you. Here's the question I have. Are you responsible? Are you responsible? Say, Pastor, I don't know. How, how do I know if I'm responsible? Well, you can ask these questions. Answer these questions. Are you someone who keeps your commitments? Are you someone who can be counted on? Are you someone that when you give your word, people say, you know what? He is a man of his word. She is a woman of her word. If she said she's going to do it, if he said he's going to do it, if they committed to it, if they said they're going to pay that bill, if they said they're going to take that responsibility, they are someone that can be counted on. They are someone that can. What does it mean to be responsible? It means you keep your commitments. What does it mean to be responsible? It means you take accountability for those that you lead. It means that you don't shrug your shoulders and say, well, you know, kids will be kids. No, no, your kid is stabbing someone. You know, your kid is, 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 is stealing vehicles. You know, your, your kid is running in a street gang. Okay, don't just, ah, oh, well, whatever. No, you need to take responsibility. You, you need to decide, no, you're not doing that. We're not going there. I'm going to fight that battle. We're going to figure out what needs to be done. Look. Someone who's responsible is someone who's accountable for those that they lead. And someone who's responsible is someone who, at the end of the day, is willing to bear the consequences for themselves and for their followers. Here's a question. Are you responsible? Are you responsible? We begin by refusing to be irresponsible, choosing to not pass the buck. We all have that tendency to want to say, it's somebody else. It's something else. It's not me. We refuse to pass the buck, and then we become people who say, the buck stops Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for these principles in, in, in Scripture that are there.